Welcome to this episode of Self Made. I'm your host, D. Brown, CEO. Joining me today is a lifelong Peorian. He's a retired Marine, retired detective, and entrepreneur. Please help me welcome Ron Givens Sr. to Self Made. Ron, glad to have you on the show. Thank you, sir. Now, Ron, 23 years in the military. Yes, sir. 22 years as a detective. Yes, sir. And currently, you're an entrepreneur. Yes, sir. And you lived your entire life right here in Peoria, Illinois. So just to set the stage for the viewers, just talk to me about your early life here. What was it like growing up as a child? Well, I thought that uh, I had a very, I had both my parents, you know, which was unusual back in the 40s and 50s. Yeah. Uh, and uh, neither one of them had much more than a high school grad, uh, education. Both of them graduated from Peoria High, as did I, uh, Peoria High School, one of the oldest schools now in the state. Um, but I grew up on the number streets, which was 6th Street. And, uh, my life, I thought, was good. I, I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed Peoria. I enjoyed having the funds of riding and pick my dad up, who worked at Caterpillar with my mom every every day at 3:30 across the bridge. He worked over at East Peoria, uh, so so we would my sisters, two sisters, and I younger would pile in the car and go over there and watch the fellows leave Caterpillar uh, at the time. But uh, my summers were just absolutely great. You know, it was back in the the 50s, 60s, and 70s when, um, you know, kids could stay out uh, until 9 o'clock. Right. One of the big things was, and I was making mention of this uh, earlier, is that uh, at that time, uh, the Warner Homes, which is no longer there, had a curfew whistle. And that curfew whistle would, uh, would blow at 9 o'clock, and you either had to be on your porch <laughs> right. or two steps off of the porch or getting ready to get on the porch back in those days. Yeah. And, you know, the police would actually pick you up. There was... Uh, and, and get you home and, or, or find out why you were out, and that went on for years. But I recall uh, uh, many times uh, in my backyard at uh, uh, 612... West 6th Street, I'm old enough uh, to remember that they actually changed the numbering system on the blocks back then. And our original house number was 612 to 708. Uh, and that was a city and uh, the renewal uh, programs coming through Peoria at that time. But the most important thing was that was actually uh, one fall uh, uh, year uh, when I was 13 years old. I was raking leaves in the back with my father, and I decided to ask him some questions about his life growing up. And uh, he, his family basically came from Mississippi, and mm -hmm. you know he had uh, a very successful life, and he was educated, and so were the, most of his family. And so I decided it was a proper time for me to find out more about his family. And I had been uh, rambling through his drawers one day, uh, and I saw some of the medals that he had one from the uh, army. Uh -huh. And so while we were raking leaves, I said to my dad, I said, how did, how, did you, how did you get those? And he started telling me the story. And the end result was, I found out that he ended up being a corporal in the uh, 
the army back then, and of course, then uh, uh, African Americans didn't move up too far uh, within the ranks, and he was actually the driver of the general. Uh, he drove a general around uh, during his time, pay, time period there in Italy. He was actually uh, a chauffeur for the uh, the general, and I know that as we were growing up, he always astounded me with his ability to drive a car. Yeah. So it kind of grew into uh, the conversation of, well, you know, how did you get promoted? And he said, well, basically, you know, I was there long enough and I did a good enough job that the general decided I should be promoted. So he went from a PFC private to a corporal, uh, which was a pretty good rank back there right. uh, for African-Americans. Right. And uh, so at that point, you know, as he talked, and I listened to a lot to what my dad said uh, growing up, and I sure miss him still today. And I think he would be proud of some of the accomplishments that I have had. Uh, but I made up my mind that I was going to go into the service. And at that point, I started what is now called the bucket list. Um, and back then, it was just a plan. And I'm 13 years old, and I decided that... So you made the decision to, to go to the military at the age of go to 13? The, to, well, to become a Marine. Oh, so you, you knew exactly what branch? I knew exactly what branch I wanted to get into. Was which your dad was, a Marine? No, he was in the Army. Okay. And I knew also from that part of the conversation that I wanted to be higher ranked than him. Okay. And uh, as the story goes on, I actually retired from the Marine, as you said earlier, and uh, I, I ended up being E7, which was a gunnery sergeant, pretty high up in the Marine Corps yeah. uh, rank system. So talk talk to me though about uh, before we get to the Marine. You you were an athlete in, yes. in high school. Yes. And I know you've been honored uh, for your accomplishments in athletics as well. So talk to me about high school and and the athlete the athletics that you participated in. Well, uh, I went into high school obviously as a freshman, uh, Peoria High. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Loved it. Uh, I played football, uh, and the first year, and I'm pretty much the same size and height, except for a little bit of difference because of shrinking his age. But I was a little guy, and uh, but I had a lot of fire, uh -huh. and I was pretty tough. And so they moved me up from my freshman year when there was like 70 football players to go to what they call the fresh soft uh, 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 position, or, you know, actually the fresh soft games, which were the combination of sophomores and freshmen. Right. And uh, I got to be a starting guard. And, of course, if you know anything about football, you know, guards are usually fairly good-sized guys. Right, and, right. Uh, long story short is I played well enough there that they dressed me for varsity. At five, at five foot uh, six and 145 pounds, I was... Playing guard. Yeah, I was playing guard. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, uh, I ended up, um, you know, going through football and uh, becoming one of the conference uh, standouts, and I received a couple of awards and, uh, when I graduated for football for, uh, from a couple of colleges around here. And that decision was made by me to say, I don't think I'm big enough. And I looked at those guys at, uh, at Bradley at the time when Bradley had a football, uh, uh, here in Peoria, had a football uh, team. And I looked at those guys being six foot six, six seven, and I thought, they'll kill me. So I said, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but I made the decision to go to, to school anyway. But uh, I also wrestled. Uh, I placed several times, uh, second, third, or first in the wrestling 
at 145 uh, pounds yeah. wrestling in, in high school. That's interesting. I have a son that was a uh, wrestler in high school in, uh -huh. the, in the same weight class. He was a state champion. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Wrestler, yeah. 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 And uh, I accomplished a lot there, and it, it gave me a lot of pride. And then, of course, the, the spring sports were track and things like that. So uh, I was still pretty fast. So I was on a relay team uh, for track in, uh, in the uh, uh, spring, I guess you'd call it. But I enjoyed, uh, I enjoyed high school. In fact, I'm coming up uh, September uh, 13th or 14th this year. Uh, we're having our 55th class reunion. And I'm proud to say that I liked high school to the point where even now I still keep in contact with uh, my classmates. And I've been on every class reunion since we got out of high school was one of the members putting it together. So, so talk to me about uh, you, you graduate from high school, yes, sir. and you've made the decision to go to the military. So, do you go to where do you matriculate? matriculate uh, I went to, to um, that was the first year of Illinois Central College. Okay, uh, when I got out, and uh, or, or the, so I went to Illinois Central College, and I had a, a break in between uh, my second year of college and the Marine Corps. Uh, I knew that the Vietnam War was going on at the time. I did want to finish my college, and I did want to participate, obviously, for the country. So I actually uh, put college on hold for a little bit, took off, went to the Marine Corps, stayed in there for seven years uh, on active duty, and then came back and finished my, my, my college. And uh, uh, from that point for, farther, then it basically became, what do I want to do? Because my mind had already been set because of the plan uh, to someday be in business. So I was still working my plan. I mean, I, I was in the Marine Corps. I wanted to be a policeman, which is part of that plan. Yeah. I wanted to work with my son, which is part of that plan. And all that come from the, uh, the part of being 13 years old. I wanted to drive stock cars, uh, race cars. Uh, I wanted to drive Daytona 500 uh, uh, racetrack, NASCAR, and just be in business. So in 2012, basically that plan, which we call the bucket list, was all completed. Uh, I, I was able to I was able to accomplish each one of those, and I'm sure you'll ask me, <laughs> you know, what happened with them. And uh, I'm, I'm more than happy to to tell you. I had a great life. I've had a great, great life. At 75 years old right now, I'm 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 just living living the dream, and it's been so good. Uh, my son runs the companies. So you let's, uh, so before we get there, so let's go back to the military. Mm -hmm. So you spent 23 years, uh, years in the Marine mm -hmm. and in the Marines. And then talk to me about the Marines and some of the experiences you had while you were well, there. Well, I started out, uh, like I said, at the, uh, when, when I actually got into the active duty piece of it, it was at the end of, uh, of Vietnam. So my duty station was, believe it or not, Connie Bay in Hawaii. And at the time, the, uh, uh, the job that I had was to modify all of the gun racks uh, that we had then. We were using M14s, uh, uh, and the M16 had just come out. So I was putting control of uh, a machine area that re revamped all of the um, gun racks back then. So they would ship them into our shop. And then we would redo them so that they uh, would would fit the M16 A1. Uh, then, of course, later on, because of the 
um, decisions that they made with the A1, it became the, the A2. So again, we had to modify some of those. But I was sent from there to um, uh, Norway. Uh, and I spent several months over there in Norway and the cave system over there is quite, quite large. And in that cave system uh, over there, which I think I can say now, is uh, they're the size of cities. And a lot of the equipment was stored over there. And that equipment that's stored over there was surplus equipment. And we worked with the Norwegians to repair or what we used to call dermal it, which means get rid of it. Uh -huh. uh, if it wasn't serviceable, it was put on a barge and uh, unfortunately taken out, of the, taken out of the cave and destroyed. But uh, I, I think the fact that I became a cold weather marine, they trained us to, they trained us to live in cold weather environments. And uh, at the time, again, because of Vietnam and because there, there was a potential threat that Russia would come into the United States through that, uh, that doorway there, uh, in Norway, uh, we had defensive positions over there too. So we worked during the day and protected during the night is what it amounts to. And I remember sleeping out there and having uh, several different things happen to you. I don't know if you've ever been in, uh, in the mountains, but uh, out there the most, most extensive thing that I would remember is we look at a bush and we think of a bush as we do today. And that's actually the top of a tree. Uh, and that tree may be 10, 12 feet because the snow had built up. And right. you'd walk over there. If you did not walk over there with your snowshoes on, you would go down. Uh, and that was, we had, we had a couple of people do that. And of course there was rescue procedures to do it, but uh, <laughs> we got to call it snow snakes because of the, the fact of the danger. And you wanted to make sure you did not venture too far from the rest of us as we moved through there. So talk to me about um, your law enforcement career. Hmm. What okay. actually, I guess, motivated you to want to have a career in law enforcement? Because you mentioned that you started um, or you made a decision to do that at a very, very early age. So what, what was your inspiration there? Well, I knew that, again, just like the interview that I did when they interviewed us back to become police officers, I wanted to help people. And I still do today. And uh, I thought, you know, the, the police part of it is very, very uh, helpful. I, I looked at police officers back then as people who, who helped us. And so I decided that, again, as part of my bucket list, that I wanted to be a police officer. And that was pretty much the extent of it. I didn't have any other, any other uh, 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 motives for it. Uh, the police officers that were around here were African-American. There was only a few of them on the police department at the yeah. time. And uh, I had done fairly well uh, on all of the tests. In fact, when it, when it shook itself out, finally I was number two on the test back then. And uh, uh, so I immediately, the first time tested, I immediately be, got on the police department. And it was just, uh, it was an opportunity for me to share what I thought was a good job, share what I thought uh, as, a, as a homeboy, helping in the community. And over the years, we actually did that. I mean, I did have one incident where I took someone's life because of a hostage situation. You asked me earlier about that. I, yeah. I had to take a, a, take a man's life because he was holding uh, some children in, in, a, in a house. And when I arrived there, uh, he came after me with a 
two, two, uh, two cooking forks, those long handles. We call them barbecue yeah. forks. And he tried to, he tried to kill me, and uh, he backed me in the corner. And uh, I told him no, not to make me do this, but he said I don't care. So that was bad. And at the time, my son was only eight years old, and I, I wanted to see my son. So yeah. Uh, uh, unfortunately, that young man is not here right now, and I am. But you know, uh, how did that impact you as an officer? Well, um, or, yeah, outside I, of just an officer, but I think even just personally, what type of impact did that incident have on you? Well, I think about it. Um, and I, I mean, under those circumstances, there are certain things that happen on the police department that they award you medals or, or whatever. And I, I received the. Uh, uh, the valor award for standing there and taking taking the action that I did because there was there was nothing else I could do and of course it was it was tragic but by the same set of circumstances you know my training from the Marine Corps and, and various other things kept me kept me focused on what was going on and sometimes when you're faced with a threat like that you need to you need to make sure that you you keep your head, and some of the conversations were uh, with the dispatch, the way that I called it in, is they said, well, Ron, you sound just like you normally sound on the radio, but they didn't know. Right, they didn't know. <laughs> they didn't know how, how I felt inside. And as far as affecting me now, uh, it does not, but I can talk about it. Yeah. And for a long time ago, a long time, uh, I, didn't, I didn't talk of it, uh, not because I was afraid to, just because some people don't understand, you know, they, they thought, well, you, you killed somebody with a fork. And if you ever look at those two-time two -time, uh, barbecue forks, they're pretty sharp. And, you know, there was all this. And I had a vest on, but he was six foot, he was six foot two. And once I backed into that corner, there was nothing else. So I only relived it once, and it was actually the night of the incident, later that night when I got home. So the impact of it has been that, you know, m my wife and family all know what happened, and I don't have any, I don't have any residual thought about it too much. I, yeah. I'm mentioning it now basically because you ask, and uh, I know that I did the right thing. So, uh, no, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a problem with it. Uh, but now, while you were uh, in law enforcement, you worked uh, violent crimes. Yes, right? uh, for juveniles. For juveniles. And that was bad. Uh, that was bad because we saw everything from uh, child abuse cases to uh, innocent children being shooting their their shooting and killing their uh, family members. Uh, most of it at that time was incidental, accidental, uh, because weapons were left out or children had a uh, uh, mystery of that weapon and ended up thinking that it's like on television, point a gun at somebody and pull the trigger. They don't realize that that is real. And there are a number of cases that we investigated where um, it really was an accident, but the kids, you know, as, when they're six, seven, eight years old, they think that their brother or sister is gonna come back and they don't. Right. And it's a very difficult situation to interview those children to get the get the truth out of it. And of course, I was always one that was kind of a stickler for charging the parents. Um, and it was hard. It was very hard. 
and then I had uh, a lot of compassion too. You know, I mean, you asked me about some of the cases, people that would abuse their animals. Uh, I would probably take a hard line towards those individuals. And I became, uh, uh, as in a, what they call an additional duty, I was also the city arson investigator. So I arrested people for, for, for arson. Uh, and in some cases, uh, people got arrested for setting fires that took lives of people here in that city. Yeah. So it was interesting. It was an interesting time frame for me. Well, I, I know you mentioned uh, at the beginning of, of the interview uh, that you were a racer yes. also. So so tell us about that because uh, <laughs> you don't look like a, a, a racer to me. So <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I, I was doing a lot of things when I was in high school, like you were talking about. the. Uh, I loved football. I loved all the things that were going on. But um, one summer... Um, in the late 50s, my uncle, we were having a family event, and my uncle took me to the very first stock car race. Uh, he asked both me and my cousin if we wanted to go. My cousin said no. And we have a, a racetrack here. The, the original racetrack here was called Peoria Speedway. And it's out on Pioneer Parkway right now. And uh, so I went out there with him. Uh, those old 49 and 39 uh, old bucket cars. Uh, <clears throat> with numbers on them just it, it, it pulled my heart and I've been I've been involved with it ever since and uh, currently I have one uh, today okay. I have a NASCAR that I built uh, I keep it over at my shop uh, or over at the company there in uh, uh, Pekin Illinois and uh, we take that car and we uh, use it for displaying but I raced at Peoria Speedway I raced at Davenport I raced at uh, East, uh, uh, East Moline uh, so the the Midwest uh, circuit now you, at the But you time. were honored for racing, right? So yes. what honor did you receive? I, re <laughs> I received, uh, um, here at the Riverfront, I received a the African-American Hall of Fame uh, uh, honor for being the first African-American uh, racing person here, uh, which is down at the Riverfront Museum. And unbeknownst to me, that shortly after that, I was also put into the uh, Racing Hall of Fame uh, Peoria Speedway. They have a, a Hall of Fame racing uh, for the top drivers and stuff out there. Uh, and I was placed into that in the same year of 2019. Congratulations. Congratulations. So. And I want to, I don't want to end this show without getting an opportunity to talk about the entrepreneur side of what you do. <laughs> so you have uh, several businesses. Yes, so sir. just kind of briefly tell me about each of your businesses. Well, the uh, the latest business that we have is that we have what I call Wood Palace by Design, and that is a scenario where we specifically, if you give us some specs or you want to ship something, mm -hmm. we build a wood pallets for shipping or whatever out of wood, and we'll design that pallet uh, if you don't have a design for it, and that business has really taken off. Uh, it's only um, three years old. And we started with one wood pallet. Uh -huh. And now we have uh, 30, 31 different designs of wood pallets so that if, if Mr. Brown comes to us and he says, I want a pallet this size uh, for the ship to uh, Norway, Vietnam, whatever, then we can build that pallet for you within a day. Wow, okay. And uh, so that's really taken off. And of course, one of our major trading partners uh, here locally uh, takes advantage of that yeah. because it saves them money and they know that they can get the product 
or products, most of the time it's 10 to 15 to 20 at a time yep. that they want. But you're also in construction as well, right? I'm, I'm going to get to that one. Okay. <laughs> because the construction one it was the second one um, that uh, uh, going backwards, now this is going backwards to what I originally started in. The uh, second business that we built was in 2010. And 2010 uh, is uh, the company called Givesco Construction. And Givesco Construction is a build design company mm -hmm. that we started back then uh, merely to, to offset uh, our, our, our other business line, which was JM Industrial Supply, uh, to, to augment that. And because I became 8A certified, uh, and went through nine years of uh, certification with the SBA, Small Business Administration, I knew that I needed to diversify. And so we built a, a gift school construction, construction company up to where now it has over 30 people working in it. Okay. Um, and those 30 people work all over the state of Illinois and uh, to Iowa and to Missouri. And I want to get into Wisconsin, but uh, we haven't done much work there. We've done a little, but not much uh, as I want. But we work at uh, the major government installations, for instance, here in Peoria, we are um, partnered up with an, uh, another large company to do uh, a training center out here at the 182nd National Guard, where we build a building out there. And we went from there down to Springfield, Illinois, where we built a similar one. You know, the government has a duplication program. And so we went to, uh, to, to Springfield, built that building down there. And then we also have been down at Scott Air Force Base, which is the central command system for the yep. airport. Right. I mean, for the Air Force. Yep. So we're still down there. We've been down there over 17 years wow. working. Now, Ron, we are about to run out of time. Oh, okay. But I want to I take the opportunity to say, number one, thank you for your service. Thank you. Both in the military and in law enforcement. Uh, what you all do every day, uh, we take for granted uh, the liberties that we enjoy and the freedoms we enjoy uh, because of uh, people like you who have dedicated dedicated their lives to protecting those those freedoms and liberties. So thank you so much for being on Self Made. I appreciate having you. And to my viewers, thank you for watching this episode of Self Made with D Brown CEO. And remember, without you, there's no me.